Hi, I'm your host, Mark Garrett Hayes. Thank you for your time again this week. For checking in and listening to the show, I don't take your listenership for granted. I appreciate that there are many, many fine podcasts out there. This one is specifically for people in the training business. And the goal of the show, as I say every single week, is to learn more, to earn more, and to grow your training business. But what if you don't have a training business? Now, I know for a fact some people have written to me and said that this podcast and a couple of episodes and interviews with people on the show have helped them to answer the question, is this something for me? Is this something I want to do? And one or two people in particular have said to me through email that this is something that confirmed to them this is the thing for them. So what if you don't yet have a training business? That's okay, because many people don't, yet they find inspiration to start one. So I'm going to approach today not on the basis that you are a training business owner, but rather on the basis that you would like to be one. So let's focus today on the 10 questions to ask yourself when starting your training business or you're about to seriously consider starting your training business, because it's easier than ever to do this. You only have to listen to the previous episodes of this podcast with people like Ryan Varga, Pete Starr, Katie Caselli, Suman Kerr, and others who have taken this leap, perhaps from being full-time salaried employees, and are now very happy and really connected with their passions as training business owners. This is episode 29 of the podcast. Welcome to the show. Hey, and welcome to the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Every week, we bring you exciting news and interviews with training business experts and training business entrepreneurs from around the world. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. Here's your host, Mark Garrett Hayes. Hi, and welcome. This is the show for training business owners like you and I all around the world. Now, as I said in the the preamble to the episode before the music, today we're going to look not at, uh, you know, the things to think about as a training business owner, but maybe the things to think about if you're not yet a training business owner and are thinking of going solo or becoming a corporate trainer somewhere. To my mind, I'm really addressing this episode today to people who are thinking of taking the leap into becoming a training business owner. So it's a little bit philosophical today. I'm not trying to put you off, but I am trying to kind of give you the questions that you could ask yourself to serve your best interests, because it's tempting to jump in, isn't it? Yeah. Just to, you know, go out and get that logo made and get that, um, design made for your business card. And then only a couple of months in, you're starting to wonder, is this thing really for you? And the last thing we want you to do is to revert to your nine to five job. It's really important that training is something that is a passion. We'll talk about that, but it's something that's sustainable. So today, as I said, we're going to serve up 10 questions to ask yourself when starting or considering starting your training business. Okay. Let's dive in. Right, the first question today is, what is my primary aim? What's my primary aim? That's question one. And the reason I'm beginning with this is because right now I'm reading a book called The E-Myth Revisited. And I'll leave links as usual to any books or podcasts or speakers or any brands I mention in the podcast. I'll leave those in the show notes for you and you can scroll down and you'll find them at the end of the episode. So Michael Gerber's book is entitled The E-Myth Revisited. And I've heard this book mentioned a few times. 
most recently by Pat Flynn, one of my podcasting heroes. He has a wonderful podcast called the Smart Passive Income Podcast, which I highly recommend. And he talked about the importance of really finding the why in your business. In other words, your primary aim. Why is this relevant? Because it's less a question of working in your training business. business. It's more a question of working on your training business. I can testify to this because I have got these two concepts completely the wrong way around. And I mentioned this in another episode. This has affected my life personally because I've been overly focused on the business and it has and can consume you because you, if it's a new business, you're focusing on the things you've got to know and the things you've got to do and the people you've got to be able to speak to, what your message looks like and your branding, et cetera, et cetera. And it never ends. So at this stage, I'd like you to ask yourself, what is your primary aim? And what that means is, according to Michael Gerber, what will your look, what will your life look like when this is done? What will your life look like when your business is doing what it's supposed to do? So therefore, it must connect with your passion. It must connect with your why. It must be the thing that serves your life. So you don't end up, as I've done, consuming free time, valuable, irreplaceable family time and personal time, focusing on something which actually is not part of you. Your life is to be lived and your business is to serve that passion and that life. So really think about this. Is the training business something you want to step into because it's going to become a major part of your life if you're to do it well? Is it connected to your why? Okay, question number two, um, which skills do I have? Is that public speaking? Is it mentoring? Is it coaching? And it's very easy to, again, be distracted by the idea of having a piece of paper, like a license, you know, being able to say, well, I can train or I can coach. Now, it is important, but what a lot of companies want from you is actual applicable experience, the kind of stuff that brings your credentials to life. The qualification is important, but what brings it to life is how you can allude to the experience that you've had and how that applies to the requirements of others. So think of the experiences you've had, maybe things you've turned around, successes you've had, uh, the achievements you have cataloged. Look at your CV, but don't be distracted by your CV. Look at your LinkedIn profile. Is it clear to people which results you've achieved using these skills? If you're not sure, that's okay. You can ask other people to maybe give you some feedback as to where you think, or they think rather, you have made an impression in their company, in their business. It could be clients of yours from another professional life you've had, or it could literally be from maybe your boss or someone in your team, one of your colleagues who might just have some insight that lets you know you've a skill, an undiscovered skill perhaps, which could be useful and relevant to clients, potential clients or prospects in your training business. And one of the things I would recommend is something called Strengths Finder, originally from Gallup. And Strengths Finder is designed to help people like you and I to uncover the strengths we may not know we have. Of course, we know we have some strengths, but there might be strengths you don't realize you have, some kind of blind spot. And using tools like Strengths Finder helps you to uncover these strengths and to 
give some thought as to how you can employ them, use them, apply them to your professional life. I, I recall a time when I was beginning in my training career working for Disney and a, a good friend of mine, Steve, was passing by one day. I was a trainee manager. He was um, a rung above me and he commented th on the fact that I was really enjoying myself training all these new uh, cast members at Disney. Cast members is the term we would give to people who are part of the Disney family. I love that company. And what he said is that it really came across to people around me and, and him that I was loving what I was doing and I had some natural ability to, you know, take control of, of a group of people and, and steer them towards the accomplishment of a learning objective. I'd never thought of it this way. So maybe people have ideas and maybe tools like StrengthsFinder can help you to uncover strengths within you which you can apply for the benefit of other people. Okay, question three, what does the market need? Now, you might be wondering why I didn't begin with this. And the reason is I believe in beginning with you. So let's answer that question. What does the market need? And to do this, you simply have to step into the shoes of your audience. It might mean reading websites, looking at books, magazines, uh, listening to podcasts to find out about the trends which are out there. But ultimately, if you have a, a prospective customer in mind, it's important, as I've said on other episodes, that you step into their shoes, step into the shoes of the audience. And if you could think of three max, maybe two or ideally just one pain point, which people would pay to have someone take it away, what would that pain point be? What would that need be? If you don't have a need, your prospect doesn't really represent a lead. So focus on the pains. What does the market need? And how can you help make those things go away? In other words, what's the value of your solution to these people? Why would someone enlist your help, uh, take the trouble of contacting you, take the trouble of opening up some, you know, kimono to you, as they say, uh, literally sharing their business inner workings with you to find out if you can help solve problems which they can't. And that's a key point. People would not enlist your help as a trainer, as a mentor, as a coach, if they couldn't solve those problems themselves for whichever reason. So what is the, the problem, the pain point, and why is it a problem or a pain point? And this helps you to shape your proposal, your value proposition to your prospective customers. So again, what does the market need? What are the needs? And why do they have those pain points? Because the value of what you deliver is in your ability and to the extent of your ability to make those pain points go away. Question four, how can I provide these uh, services or solutions profitably? Now, are the two linked? Of course they are. In question three, what does the market need? And question four is, how do you solve these problems profitably? It could be through classes, which is the classic mode of delivering learning and training. It could be through online products. Plenty of people making serious amounts of money increasingly online through their own academies or their own remote coaching or their workshops. And as Chris Ducker, another one of my business heroes says, if you are not making money from something, well, then it's a hobby, not a business. And that's a very good point. The difference between an activity which rewards you with passion 
or one with profit is literally the business. Is it a business? Is it something which people pay you to deliver so that you can make money from it and sustain your life? It's as simple as that. So a nice exercise to to do is to take a simple piece of paper, draw three circles, okay? Three circles. A top left circle could be a circle containing a picture of, you know, one of those trophies or a, or a gold cup. And in this circle, you can write down all the things that you are world class at. And then in the next circle, you could draw a, a picture of a dollar sign or a euro symbol or a pound sign or some other currency. And this represents the skills that you have, which people would pay for. And finally, down below your last circle, depends how you've drawn the circle, um, you could stick a heart in that circle. And in that circle are all the things you love to do. So ideally, where those three circles intersect, that's your sweet spot. That's the stuff that is uh, that represents the stuff you love to do and you're world-class at doing and people will pay you to do. And that's what makes a business. That's the profitability there. Okay, question five, moving along. Conscious of time. What should I charge? Great question. And this often is the first question which pops up into people's minds. And that's good. It's okay. But ultimately, people only charge when the other answers are in place first. Are you doing what represents your passion, your strongest why? Um, Are you bringing your entire self to the business? Which skills do you have? What does the market need? Are you providing these profitably? And then question five, what should I charge? So, Think of it this way. How much do you want to earn? Why start at this point? Because you should be able to say, to be able to arrive at a figure that makes sense for me, given my commitment, given my expectations of my lifestyle, maybe other commitments and obligations you have, what is that figure? And then we work backwards from there, from an annual figure to maybe a quarterly figure or monthly figure to a weekly figure, daily figure and hourly figure. We're not suggesting you have to work every single day of the week, note to self, but you have to have some idea of what your time represents. Because what you're actually doing is you're trading an irreplaceable commodity, your time, if you extrapolate that out further, your life, for money. So... How much of a charge are you going to put on surrendering or trading an hour, a day, a week, a month, a year of your life for this business to work and provide the lifestyle that you want? And that links back to question one, which is your primary aim. What is your primary aim? So what should you charge? Well, you could look around. You could gauge what other people charge. Some training providers put their prices on their website. Some coaches do that likewise. But you can also read industry publications and visit various websites which give a gauge or an indication as to what the going rate might be. Of course, that changes depending on uh, what you're training, the skill, the uh, client, the industry to whom you're training, and of course, where you're training, because sometimes some jurisdictions might have an excess of availability of that skill. Other markets don't have enough of that skill. So I'm not avoiding the question here. It varies. You could be ranging from anything from 
uh, pounds sterling, 550 pounds a day um, in in euros. It could be six, 700 euros a day, dollars more. It, it depends the city, the location, the industry and the skill set. Uh, but either way, you've got to ar- arrive at some point where you can say, I'm comfortable charging this because it supports my primary aim and, of course, fulfills the obligations that I have to 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 family, uh, to pay off loans, etc., whatever that might be. So that's a quite a complex one to answer, but it's something you have to arrive at yourself through a variety of exercises. Number six, how can I stand out? What this means is that we, we are, as training business owners, in a quite a competitive landscape. Tell me about that. You know this is true. Irrespective of the business you're working in, most businesses are, or at least should be, competitive, right? So how do you stand out? Well, there are a range of ways to do this. Um, thinking of our world as training business owners, networking's the obvious one. Are you able to network with people People who've got the power to say yes to you. People who've got the power to say, yes, I love what you do. I can see how this would work for my team, for me. So what do we do to actually get the ball rolling? Sometimes that comes from being on stage as a speaker. It could be that you stand out by uh, you, the way you write emails or how you've um, paraphrased your learning experiences on LinkedIn. It could be the blog posts you write. It could be the videos you create. It could be the way you grab attention through PR. But uh, invariably, how you stand out is what makes you different and underlines why someone should give you the business rather than someone else the business. Now, we're not trying to, to nuke or annihilate or eradicate the competition. Actually, you need the competition because this keeps you on track and keeps you focused on the kinds of things you could be doing that they're not doing or the things that they are doing that you should be doing to actually stand out and to really develop your brand in the business, be it a personal brand or be it a company brand. So really find some way to be clear on how you can stand out, to be unique. It could be your logo. It could be all the things I've mentioned. Standing out helps people to say, this is why we're hiring this person or this company and not this one. Number seven, what kinds of clients do I want to have? Yeah, I I understand this question personally because there are the kinds of people I want to work with, the kinds of offices I want to train in, the kinds of uh, industry or companies where I actually understand their world. I understand because of previous experience, the kinds of clients they serve, the kinds of pain points they solve, the kinds of solutions that they produce. Is that something that makes sense to you? Are you comfortable, for example, training people in industry X or in city Y? So are you the kind of person who absorbs an energy from working with those kinds of people? Are you a legal eagle? Are you someone who is fascinated by the law? So would training legal clients be something which resonates with you? Um, are you prepared to travel to get to those clients? Um, and I'm minded of a book which I read a number of years ago called What Color Is Your Parachute by Richard Nelson Bollis. And this book comes out every single year and helps people to focus on what would actually make for them a satisfying career. And something else that someone else said, I think it might have been Pat Flynn, is the the riches are in the niches or the niche. The riches are in the niches, meaning that if you are aligned personally with what you're doing 
And it's something that only you can do in this industry for those kinds of people, because you resonate with them, you get them, you understand them, you can empathize with them and they get you, then that's probably where you're going to be most successful. Now I've, for example, uh, come across people who specialize in training in the technical world to technical people, or they specialize in medical training. I've done that too. Or in legal training, working with barristers and solicitors, lawyers, uh, focusing on legal uh, areas of business, or leadership, or sales companies, or in the military, which I've done as well. So it depends on the world. Training is a broad church, so there must be some niche area where your interests and their requirements align magically, and that's where you really will do your best work. What kinds of clients do you want to be around, talk to, relate to, and provide solutions to? Number eight, which qualifications and credentials do I need? Now, that's a great question because many times people get bogged down worrying about, you know, do I have the right piece of paper? Well, yeah, that's a fair question. You do most of the time, particularly when approaching uh, new training clients, you have to satisfy them that you know what they're doing and what you're doing more importantly. So one of the better known qualifications is simply called TTT, which stands for train the trainer. Now that's a, a generic term. It does not mean that train the trainer is owned by any one company uh, or brand. There are a variety of uh, businesses out there providing a train the trainer qualification. I've done uh, three different ones. Uh, one of them I've done um, is called TAP. And TAP is a UK-based qualification, and it's widely recognized by many large companies in the UK and in Europe as being a kind of a hallmark that says you are able to stand in front of people and to competently deliver training which can be, you know, proved. It, it's something which is effective. It actually meets learning requirements in terms of design. It's, it's, the knowledge is transferred competently in terms of transfer and training, but also it can be evaluated professionally so that we can link what we need to uh, return on investment from the training. So do you know how to do that? That's my question to you. So uh, TAP is one qualification. Another one, a huge one, is the ATD in the States, principally in the States, but growing rapidly internationally. And this is an organization which is the Association for Talent Development. Um, and basically this organization offers courses, one of which, or several of which, allow you to specialize in in, in qualifications which enhance, enable and enhance your training delivery ability. If you're a coach, you've got different avenues open to you. You could go down um, the EMCC route, which is mine. That's the, the mothership or the accreditation body to which I belong. That's the European Mentoring and Coaching Council. Another well-known one is the Association for Coaching. Uh, that's, in my experience, principally uh, in the States, but again, international chapters. Another one is the ICF, the International Coaching Federation. So they, those tend to be the three large uh, coaching certifying bodies, organizations worldwide, something you might want to look at acquiring if coaching is for you. Uh, uh, further to that, there, of course, is a variety of HR qualifications out there which will also qualify you through some rigorous process so that you can be confident you can stand in front of people and deliver training. So the goal here is not to actually just 
gather a badge for the sake of it. It's to get some kind of qualification which opens doors. It satisfies people's curiosity and requirements that you know what you're doing and you can be entrusted with their people for a day or a week or a month or several months and you're able to deliver quality. And of course, within training experience or training credentials, there might be kind of micro areas. So I've worked with police and and military, army and air force. And sometimes they also have their own kind of um, internal career or internal uh, learning area of, of, of certification, which requires you to go through that before you can actually sound competent uh, in a, a niche audience or in front of a niche audience, such as government or army or police, etc. So there are a range of options you have to consider. What qualifications, credentials do you need? As, as a broad answer, I would say something which gives you the fundamentals of adult learning theory. And that would be something like a train the trainer. So go into Google, look up train the trainer, and you will find lots of uh, qualifications out there in your town, in a city. It's worth having if it's something you want to consider building upon and having your own training business or working in one. Right. Number nine, question number nine is what does excellence look like? Wonderful question. And the way I would phrase this or explain this is, what do you want people to say about you when you're not there? What do, and I mean professionally, by the way, not not your friends, your family, but what do you want people to say when you've delivered a great day's training or a great week's training or coaching? What are they saying about you? What would make you proud? What does doing your best work feel like? What sense of accomplishment do you have if someone's able to say, yeah, that training program, that that coaching, that, that one-to-one session I had, that feedback I was given has really, yeah, it's just changed my life. It's, it's changed the way I look at things and how I perform. And, and even my boss says this, I'm receiving compliments from people around me. I feel a difference. And to my mind, this is the stuff that really stands out. When you're on fire, when you are literally coming home from a day's training or coaching and you feel 10 feet tall, you feel like you've made a difference and someone writes you an email and it's almost going to make you choke because you're thinking of, oh my goodness, I've made a difference to that person's life. They're not having the the problems they had anymore. Uh, that, to my mind, is exactly what makes excellence for me. It's, it's confirmation, it's validation that I'm useful, that I'm not, you know, useless, that I'm I'm needed and that I have a mission in life. So what gives you that sense of accomplishment? What does doing your best work look like, feel like? What does it sound like? What makes you proud? It's not about, you know, scores and numbers and income necessarily. It's what excellence looks like to you personally. Because if you start with that, excellence shines outwards and is what people will pay you for to bring you, your best you, to their workplace, to their environment, to their business. Does that make sense? I know I sound like I'm evangelizing here, but in a way I am. This is why training is actually a privilege. So starting a training business is, or begins or should begin fundamentally with asking yourself these questions. Is it right for you? Are you able to say confidently that when you've delivered this product, this service, through the world of training, it's something that resonates with your innermost core and your values and people literally glow when they think of what you've done for them. Question 10, finally, today is where do I get off? Now, what does that mean? What that means is 
um, you at some point, maybe, maybe not, have given thought to where you want to end up at some point when you no longer want to work or feel you have to work. It doesn't mean that you've to now literally have an exact date in your calendar in the future when you stop working, but it's a great question to ask yourself. Start with the end in mind. If I build this business, does this mean I continue to work in this business? Does it mean I sell this business? Does it mean I get investment in this business? What does the next stage look like for you? And when, when at some point in the future do you exit? Do you hang up your, your gloves, your, 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 your podcasting mic for the last time? Because as I said in question one, what is my primary aim? This is Michael Gerber's tip, not mine is to start with how this business you're building or thinking of building will complement the life that you hope to have for those you love and for yourself. So at some point, an exit strategy makes sense. If at some point you have an investor coming into your business, you may well. I Believe you me, they at some point will want to know when do we get our money back and move that um, capital onto the next investment. And this is often what venture capitalists or angel investors are thinking of, not plowing money into your business indefinitely, but how do they get this back? And that's not a bad thing for you to think of either. How do you know when the right time is to let go so it can grow and step back and move on? And I'm thinking of businesses like those built by people such as Richard Barkey, who built Imparta, a major global sales training success story, or Catherine Parsons from Decoded, who together with several other people built a world-class brand in helping non-technical people in, in terms of internet code and, and, and software understand what that world looks like for their company and their brand. So she's managed to build that brand to be able to help organizations with non-technical people to understand the technical world, the, the, the world of, of, of bots and, and apps and big data. Or someone like Linda Weinman, who built something called lynda.com, L-Y-N-D-A.com, and then managed to sell that business years later to LinkedIn. That's right, LinkedIn.com bought Linda Weinman's training business for north of a billion dollars. Huge money. Now, the question is, is that your plan? Is that your game plan? Is that something you want? Maybe not. Maybe you're happy to have this training business you're thinking of building or stepping into, creating something which simply complements your life, but doesn't really form a huge part of your life. Because it's not uncommon these days to have a portfolio lifestyle where some people are trainers and then on the side they're coaches and coaches and then they're authors or they do something else unrelated to this world. So the question is, where do you want to get off? Do you want to build a multi-person, a multi-million pound training business? Or will you be satisfied just developing the brand of you, something that Chris Ducker calls Youpreneur, literally the brand of you, building a business around your identity, your brand, your message, your core values, and sharing that with the world. Is this a five-year plan? Is it a 15-year plan? A 25-year plan? When and where do you want to get off this journey? So today we've just been through 10 great questions I think will help you to get clarity at the point where you're thinking of starting a training business, not yet clear. And by the way, you'll notice that none of these tips are 
tips or form advice on how to start a training business. That's a different day's work. It's the subject of a future course and a couple of podcast episodes. But today, if you're not yet in the training business, my goal today was to serve you by giving you something to reflect upon. And as a coach, my job is not to, when I'm coaching at least, to to train people. It's to be curious, what we call appreciative inquiry in the coaching world, and get you to be able to ask yourself the kinds of questions which uncover the answers that you need to know what to do next, or rather what not to do. So think of it this way. It's kind of a safety check, a series of questions to help you to really guide your thoughts so that the action you take is the right one for you and your family and your primary aim in life. Okay? So hope you enjoy that today. I know I really enjoyed having this time in your ears, be it on your plane journey or your car journey or your train journey or wherever you are right now. Um, My very best wishes to you in making this monumental decision to start a training business. And it's something I hope that if you do decide to proceed, you will find joy and love and passion in in doing something which is, as I said before, a privilege, being able to help people to make that transformative change, to change their lives, and to be the very best that they can be. And I hope this is true for you. So thanks again, and I look forward to your time next week. Just a couple of things before we go. is just to ask you to listen in again next week because there are every single week either solo episodes with me like this where I've got time with you one-on-one or we bring some wonderful guest on the show to either share their journey or to talk about their expertise and their knowledge in a way that will help you to learn, to earn more and to grow your training business. If you're enjoying the show, I would be very grateful if you could leave us a a rating on iTunes because this helps us to promote the show and to attract the kinds of guests, listeners who can and want to help you to you know, explode and to grow your training business. This podcast is a joy to create. So I look forward to your company again next week. You can check out the podcast as always on iTunes, on Stitcher and Spotify. So have a great training week. Bye for now. once more for listening to this episode of the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Go to trainingbusiness.com and subscribe right now to be notified of great competitions, upcoming VIP episodes, and amazing special offers to help you succeed in your training business. See you next time.